The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 91. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called Nepenthe. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Joel and True, Dom. And Joel and True to you, Jimmy, as well. Uh, so, folks, if you are listening to this on the, on the website or you've gotten this in an email from a friend, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, uh, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should also hit the bell uh, to get notifications. Uh, and I should point out that Google Play is at some point becoming YouTube music or something like that, so we, that may change in the future. But uh, I uh, don't definitely... think Google knows what they're doing. <laughs> As usual. But that's a whole other uh, podcast called Secrets of Technology with Father Corey and I do together. So uh, let's talk about uh, Picard and this episode called Nepenthe. Now, uh, Nepenthe is a Greek word, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. It means, it mean. I mean, according to its roots, so ne would, is not, and penthe is related. It, it's based on the root that means to think. So it's unthoughtfulness or oblivion and right. forgetfulness. And okay. it also gets used in a context of something that will um, cause you to forget your troubles. Like living in a beautiful dream world or beautiful... Right. Uh, Paradise world. And I think that's the context for this, right? Right. Uh, if you want, because Riker and Troy have gone to this planet in part to forget their troubles and Picard forgets his troubles a little bit by visiting them and things like that. If you want to, if you want to see this noun in action um, out in the field, go look at Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven, because mm -hmm. uh, the speaker in that poem uh, is in search of a Nepenthe for the lost Lenore. Oh, right, right. Nevermore. That, that's, yeah. that's the rhyme. Yes. Yeah, Michael Shabon, the showrunner and co-writer of this episode, he's, he says it's a mythical cure for heartbreak, sorrow, and illness. So the illness mm -hmm. part is also perhaps why they went to this planet Nepenthe. Um, so, uh, we'll that they needed that. to get off the board cube really fast <laughs> and because Picard, yep. yeah, I do want to mention a little bit of trivia, uh, with this episode, Jonathan Frakes, who plays Will Riker becomes the only performer to appear in five different live action Star Trek series. Hmm. And he hmm. and Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy became the only performers to play the same character in four different live action Star Trek series. Do you, do you know whether the, the uh, discrepancy there is for Frakes? DS9. He, D he didn't play oh, he Will, played Thomas. Will Riker, he played Thomas Riker. That's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that was a little tricky there. But uh, So yeah, they've been in TNG, DS9, uh, Voyager, both of them, I Enterprise. think. Enterprise. 
and Enterprise, right? <laughs> that terrible episode of Enterprise. Oh, that was a terrible ending. <laughs> Not the worst, though. Night in Sickbay was far worse. Yes, yes. But that's that's a future episode or a couple episodes of this podcast. <laughs> we'll get to those. Uh, so I just thought I'd mention that a little fun fact there. Uh, all right. So we, as we start, we again start with a flashback, but not so far uh, in the past. Yeah, just uh, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. So that tells us the timeline here uh, is that the the all this uh, all these events since they've left Earth has taken about three weeks. Uh, so we are mm-hmm. we're at the Daystrom Institute back where we saw this encounter, abbreviated version of this encounter between Agnes Girardi and Com- Commodore O, the head of Starfleet Security, who is a Romulan agent. Uh, which mm-hmm. that's really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And this time we see that O tells her that she knows all about everything she did with Picard at her two meetings with him. And she, it turns out she's the one who asked Agnes to ask Picard to go along on the trip. And, and as we as we come in on Soji, we've seen the beginning part of this scene before where she's sitting there over the cliff by the Daystrom Institute or under the Daystom Institute, mm-hmm. and she's eating her sushi, listening to sad opera, which the closed captioning says is the same type of opera that Dr. Culper likes on on Discovery. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and, and and she's and no wonder uh, other people don't like it. It's really not atonal, but sad. And <laughs> and and she's eating her sushi with. Five cent chopsticks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, I have like uh, I have a hundred of those in a packet in my kitchen. You know, it lasts <laughs> for years. It, they're the the cheap little wooden chopsticks. I mean, come on, this is the twenty fourth century. The ones you go to the Chinese restaurant and they hand you with your takeout. The one, yeah, the, with the takeout. If you stay to dine in, they give you better chopsticks than that. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on how depends on how expensive the Chinese restaurant is. Yeah, but they're replicated, and they'll go back into the replicator to be, you know, dismantled and recycled, right? Yeah, they could. They could. <laughs> if that's the case, the replicator could come up with better chopsticks. That, that's true. Uh, she's also got uh, AirPods on, which uh, you know, or, yeah. or the twenty fourth century version of AirPods uh, that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, then, then, then come. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Commodore. Oh, then forces a mind meld on yeah. her. Yeah. To show her- well, she she's in the process of consenting when the mind meld is forced on <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah, it's a it's a but, little bit abrupt. Yeah, yeah, but she then uses the ancient technique of the Vulcan mind lie to <laughs> get her on her side. Well, okay, so I have a couple things to, to say here. So she sees these visions of presumably what would happen if Picard succeeds in what he's doing, mm-hmm. which is some kind of apocalypse that will destroy Earth. Uh, I'm not sure. What it is like? What it is that Commodore O is showing her? What Commodore O thinks is going to happen? Some sort of simulation that she's run? I'm not sure what that is, uh, but it's fairly convincing. Yeah. So it's apparently based on something in history. This is this is information that Commodore O apparently has about some past event that uh, happened because if it, they show us some of the same footage, there's a, a an image of what looks like uh, nine Romulans in black robes around mm-hmm. in, arranged in a circle when stuff starts to go bad. And they show that in the next time video. So mm-hmm. presumably that's going to be part of our flashback next time. Right. And and then we also see um, an, an image of someone putting a gun to their head like that synth did on Mars, but it's not the synth on Mars. Right. So apparently the Jat Vash believes that whenever you develop artificial life, this kind of apocalyptic scenario plays out. 
And I, I wonder, and I wonder if this event was the event that caused that them to be formed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. A memory that has been passed on through the through the, the millennia, perhaps. Yeah, but it, this does show something we haven't seen much yeah. on Star Trek, which is the potential use of mind melds as a propaganda means. Um, we've right. seen Spock very lightly do something similar in the original series where he like tricked a guard, got him to do what he wanted using the, the mind meld across mm -hmm. a wall or on the other side of a wall. Yep. Um, but this is much more, I'm pumping my ideology into your head to recruit you. So this, this also introduces another question for me. I, I don't think Romulans are capable of mind melds. I think that was established, wasn't I, it? I had the same yeah. question because we know that Romulans are related to Vulcans biologically, but do they have the same mental capabilities? Well, so if if you dig back to your Enterprise lore, not all Vulcans are melders. Um, right. And, and in fact, melding was discouraged in Vulcan society for a long time prior mm -hmm. to the Surak Reformation that occurred just about the time of Enterprise. Um, yeah. And... So uh, I assume Romulans and Vulcans are, ba are I mean, they can, I, of course, Klingons and humans can crossbreed too in the Star Trek universe, but right. I assume in that uh, Romulans and Vulcans are basically the same species, and so they should have the same potential. It's just a question of have they developed them. However, right. I, this is also consistent with Commodore O being a Vulcan, which would be the more plausible thing, because right. if you're head of Starfleet security, they are going to have vetted you seven ways from Sunday. Right. Versus some and lieutenant that just kind of shows up. Yeah. So she so that makes her, in fact, very interesting. A vul of what would make a Vulcan be become a Romulan agent? So that would be that's that's she's, an interesting story well, there. I, I don't know that she is a Romulan agent, per se. I think she's one of the cabal that crosses ideological boundaries with the Romulans oh, in part right. of the Conclave of Eight, because we've had all these references to the Jat Vash couldn't be operating on Earth and, and Mars couldn't have been struck by Romulan help without some kind of Starfleet Federation involvement. So Section I think we've got 31. people yeah. on, on both sides of the border. Yeah, it right. could be a Section 31 thing. That's interesting. So uh, she, the Commodore O, after, you know, uh, Causing uh, uh, Agnes to be sick to her stomach, which seems to be happening a lot in this episode. Interesting callback, yeah. Or yeah. Call she's got, up, a, weak, she's got a weak stomach, apparently. Yes. Well, uh, then she gives her this. Uh, Here, eat this little blue pill to allow us to track you. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was waiting. She's like puts her mouth and um, and like she just takes from her, and throws her in her mouth, and I was waiting for Commodore O's to say, "It's not a pill. Don't swallow it. <laughs> Carry it with you." Like she doesn't actually tell her to, sw to swallow it until she tells her that she's supposed to chew it. Uh, I, I, I didn't catch that. That's good. I, I, it's, I also like that she chews it. So apparently, this contains mm -hmm. some kind of nano radiological stuff that's going to bond mm -hmm. with her her bones, her teeth. That yep. um, well, I, I think it. I think or it bonds elsewhere somewhere. in her system. Well, I think yeah. it bonds somewhere else, but we're gonna get into that here at the end of the episode. Oh, okay. okay. Based on, yeah. I think the, what happens at the end of the episode yeah. is related to this. Could, but we'll talk about when we get there. Yeah. Okay. But right. anyway, it's supposed to become biologically part of her and yep. let them track her over hyperspace distances, which is surprising. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, th this then brings us back to the present, uh, where La Serena is stuck in the tractor beam at the the artifact, the cube. Um, Agnes. 
in is in her uh, angst here, uh, which may be why she's called Agnes, uh, reveals a little <laughs> too much of what she knows. She, she to quote her, they don't want us. They want her. They'll they'll meaning Soji. They'll hunt her down and destroy her. Tell them we just want to go home. And they and both Rafi and and Grios both kind of look at her like, how, how do you know that? Uh, and she's, right. so she's kind of she's not a very mm. good secret agent here, but she's kind of revealing yeah. herself a bit. I, I choose. Were you playing on maybe she's called Agnes because it sounds like anxiety or anxious or something, or something having to do with angst? Yeah. OK, that could yeah. be it could be a trait name. I was I've I've I, that had not occurred to me before. I've just yeah. assumed, oh, well, OK, so her name means lamb. Yeah. You sh- mm. Well, she is a bit of a uh, lamb, uh, you know, in the uh, amongst wolves yeah. in all of this, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then back on the Borg cube, uh, Drusilla, as you call her, because I can never remember her name, so I'll just call her Drusilla, too. I know. (laughs) It's in my notes. Drusilla suddenly becomes active and decisive. Yeah, in fact, they don't actually... She's not actually referenced by name very at all in in these, so mm-hmm. it's hard to remember who she is. Anyway, she's killing XBs in order to to uh, compel Hugh to tell her where Picard and Soji went, because she doesn't, she doesn't know about the... Uh, space projector thingy that they used to travel to Nepenthe thousands of light years away. And she's, this is a new mode for her because all she's done thus far is traipse around being sinister and seductive and threatening, but hasn't actually done anything. Right. And now she's doing stuff. Now, now she's a the job. Way, the, re- <laughs> the reason I call her Drusilla is for people who may not be aware or recall is because Drusilla was Calig- the Emperor Caligula's favorite sister that <laughs> right. he, yeah. did, he did things with. Yeah, yeah. Yuck. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so then they, they eventually let La Serena go from the tractor beam uh, so that Narek, they, they were just giving Narek time to get into his uh, Romulan shuttle so he could follow them. Uh, and so they let it go. It's sort of like the Millennium Falcon and the Death Star. Totally (laughs) like the Millennium Falcon. I I have in my notes, Rafi, that was too easy. They're tracking us. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And they it's interesting how they do it, because when they shut off the tractor beam, I mean, they don't do what when I first saw this, I thought for a second, oh, they did what Agnes said. They 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 told them we don't we're not who you we, these aren't the droids you're looking for right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, we, we and were just we go. were just the messengers we just delivered Picard yeah. and he, we don't know where he is yeah. now so leave us alone yeah yeah but, although that would be implausible because they'd want to haul them over and interrogate them for a right. while um, but Captain Rios assumes Rafi hacked the system which yeah, she says right. is in freaky Borg Borg machine code and then she says I didn't do it but they don't have time to debate it so they run yeah so yeah. they should they should be suspicious that they're being followed uh yeah and so and and, and, yeah. and rios even is aware of that he says first they got to catch me right oh by the way in this sequence we get confirmation uh that father and i were correct that those ear things that uh derek and drusilla are wearing are um are communicators dots. yeah yeah yep. yep yep uh so meanwhile elnor had stayed behind to protect the xbs and in fact he comes in in uh uh, helps uh, Hugh escape from Drusilla and the other uh, uh, Tal Shiar. And, uh, uh, oh, no, before we get to that, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. At this point, uh, Rios communicates with Elnor, who says, I'm staying behind to protect the XBs. Right. And mm-hmm. this is when Rios says to him, everybody here thinks you're crazy. And then Chi- uh, Agnes Chamberson, and brave, and brave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. You guys see a look on his face, he's like, yeah, I do actually kind of agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're crazy, 
but you are brave. Yes. Yeah. Those are not By exclusive. Way, <laughs> yeah. By the way, speaking of Elrond, and I don't know if you're going to cover this in feedback or not, but we I had will. some feedback where someone proposed that his name, we, let's go ahead and do that part now. Okay. Um, th- that his name is uh, a, a pun uh, because mm-hmm. in various Tolkien Elvish, Elvish. languages, yeah. um, he, of which there is more than one, yeah. uh, L means star. And the claim was that nor is is or is related to the word for a journey or voyage. Mm-hmm. So his name would mean Star Trek. Now, we did some work to try to confirm that. And Dom, I understand you're the Tolkien Elvidge language expert here on the <laughs> panel. What can you tell us? I am super nerd. So therefore, <laughs> here's what. So there's a pretty good online Kenya and Sindarin dictionary. And as a verb, nor means to run or leap. So. Trek isn't a bad cognate for for Nor mm-hmm. for in El Nor. Mm-hmm. El, of course, is a, the root is for that is star. But a better one would be Lend or Len, which means journey, or Rain, which means erratic wandering, which I think would be even better. So a better Elvish name that means Star Trekker, because that's what the 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 this, these claims were was that El Nor means Star Trek. Star Trekker would be Elend, but that sounds too much like Ellen, so that would be a little mm-hmm. weird. Or El Rain. Uh, they chose Elnor. My guess is this stuff has to be run up the line through executives who sign off on names and things like that. And so it got committed and they decided on Elnor. But it does ha- sound very Tolkien elf like. Yeah. And and they did something similar uh, back in the first season of Discovery, where they were trying to hide the fact that Ash Tyler is really the Klingon guy, the yeah. albino. And so they credited the actor who was playing the albino as something in Persian that also it it either I forget. I, I believe it meant live long and prosper. Right, right, right. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Vogh, uh, uh, was yes, was a, there was a, a nice secret and they did a good job of keeping that secret. So. Um, it, it's fun. It, I, I like the fact that it crossed my, I love to you know, cross over uh, fandom lines for my nerdiness. So that was a lot of fun to, yeah. to get that email. Well, you just, you just wonder who on the production crew was the one like, Hey, I'm a Tolkien geek and. Oh, that's gotta be Shavon. I, 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 I'm sure he's a <laughs> Tolkien geek, but uh, thank you, Casey Taylor, who emailed that, uh, that into us. We, uh, we appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, Nepenthe, uh, Picard and Soji. Uh, beam in from from the cube and they meet uh, Kestra uh, who turns out to be Riker and Troy's daughter who calls herself the wild girl of the woods I, 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 mm-hmm. I enjoyed that uh, she reminded me a lot of my, my daughters uh, and she's dressed up in a costume and she references her brother well, I like the line where where she shows up with the 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 bow and arrow, and she's pointing it at Picard. He goes, yes. "You might want to aim for my head because my heart's pure duritanium. No, <laughs> yes. this arrow won't do any good." <laughs> yeah, that that uh, references back because Picard has that uh, uh, artificial heart. Uh, so Kestra is named after, if, in case you don't remember, Deanna Troy's older sister, Kestra, who mm-hmm. died, and there was a whole episode as a, of, as a child. As a child, yes, and there was a whole uh, episode of TNG where she. Uh, remembers that because it, she'd been made to forget. Um, and then that was the episode Dark Page. And then uh, her, she has a brother who is now deceased. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. get to that. His name is Thaddeus or Thad. He's named after Riker's ancestor, Thaddeus Riker, who was mentioned mm-hmm. in the Voyager Voyager episode Death Wish. So that's the one. Yeah, where Riker who was up. saved by Q during the Civil War. Yes. By the by the way, let's so now that we're talking about names of I can understand naming someone after a famous ancestor that works for me. Yeah. 
But naming someone after your dead sister who died tragically young, on the one hand, I understand that from the point of view of the parent, because you right. want to remember the sister. But from the point of view of the kid, I'm not sure I'm on board with that. I would feel a little bit if I was a kid and I was named after someone who died tragically young, I would think like you're somehow trying to relive that person through me. Mm, maybe. I, know. I know I know people who have been named after in this exact, I guess, the same circumstance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess yeah. the, the question would be, how would that be any different than naming someone, naming your child for your dad? You know, for example, well, my middle name is Dennis and my grandfather's name, my dad's dad's name. Who I never met, he died before I was born, was Dennis. So I was uh -huh. in a way named for my grandfather that I never met. I mean, I, how is that any different? It's different because uh, presumably, uh, I mean, I, I tell me if I'm wrong, but your grandfather lived a full life and didn't die under tragic circumstances, you know, tragically young as a child. Well, depends on how you define, well, not as a child. No, obviously not, but. Yeah. But and that's sort of the thing that it's, it would be like if you have one child and that child dies and then you have another child and you give him the name of the one that died. That would seem to that's me to be kind of. That's weird. This is the same thing, but through it's a sister that died as a child. I, I, I think it's less weird if it's a sister who died than because mm -hmm. I, I agree. to be honest, I know people who have had siblings who have died young, you know, before the, before mm -hmm. adulthood, before the age of majority. And many, you know, years or decades mm -hmm. later, they had a child and wanted to, you know, honor that sibling by naming their own child after them. So it could be weird. I don't think it's yeah, I, necessarily, but yeah, I get it. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it is definitely less creepy, yeah. but I'm just saying if I was that child, I would have questions about it at some point in my life. I wouldn't be entirely comfortable with it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, especially sure, since her own, her brother also died young. That's going to be, yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to affect them. Uh, so meanwhile, Picard awkwardly reveals that Soji is an Android and that the yeah. only, and the only real thing from her memories was Dodge, which, you know, that, that doesn't go over well uh, with her. Yeah. That, that was, no. that was very awkward on, on Picard's part is like, why did he tell the girl this? Yeah. You know, it's just like, of course, th this is the point there. I admittedly, I found Kestra a bit annoying, and this is where it started. Because hmm, yeah. all of a sudden she was like, oh, data, data, data's great. Data's wonderful. Data, 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 data. It's yeah. like, no, we don't need that. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, yeah. I like that Soji does not trust Picard. She thinks this is more mm -hmm. of the mind game she was yeah. still in, and even says, get on with the mind game. Um, yep. so she has dissociation problems. Great. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you can imagine she's just had everything in her life upended. Everything she thought was real wasn't. Uh, and yeah. now she's going to have trust issues. Uh, so, and then we have this, this really nice scene of this beautiful log cabin that they live in here. I mean, I, I would love to live yes. in this place. It looks amazing. And, and this is not the Abraham, this is not the Abraham Lincoln log, one room log cabin. No, this no, is no. the log mansion. Yes. This, this is this, a, yeah, yeah. This, this place is as nice or if not nicer than most of our houses. So uh, I mean, no, nicer. No, it's much nicer yeah. than my house. My house could probably fit in the living room. So, <laughs> yeah. so, and then we have Troy and Riker, this, a wonderful touching reunion. I, I, I'm so happy to have Troy and Riker here. Um, apparently yep. when they started the show, they were not going to have any of the TNG cast show up. This was supposed to be something new. This was not a hmm. return to TNG. This was the original vision. And then they brought data in because of the connection with Soji and Dodge, uh, in the dream sequence. And then apparently 
like halfway through filming this season, which I we yeah. are, we're at, we're just at halfway here, just past halfway. This is the seventh yeah. of 10 episodes. This is when they decided to have this episode with Troy and Riker, which I thought was fascinating to hear. And I wonder, you know, of course, sorry, Riker produced a number of episodes or directed a number of episodes. He directed a couple. And I wonder if that was part of the kind of the conversation as for him doing it. It it was he came in and directed them. And after he had like directed one or both of them, they said, we want Sean as an actor, too. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, in that ready room that which is the uh, the YouTube uh, behind the scenes After video. They do. Yeah, they uh, Will Wheaton interviewed uh, Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner. And Frakes was saying that, yeah, and, and how nervous he was to get to do this, to go in front of the camera because he hadn't done that in a long time. Given, you know, you got Patrick Stewart, <laughs> you got mm-hmm. uh, uh, Marina Sirtis, who apparently has been doing a lot of acting lately on, you know, on stage in the West End of London. It's their Broadway. Uh he felt a little nervous doing this, but uh, mm. I thought I thought it was great. Uh, I liked that when Troy and Riker, I mean, see, Troy and Picard meet, uh, she senses his disease. She has that. I, I think that's what that was. She kind of senses mm. so, and he kind of says it's under control. You know, she's right. she, or at least she senses the, the his feelings Something. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought she was sensing the fact that he's just escaped and is in trouble. Uh oh, I, I suppose I I guess I went a little further than than that. Um, but I, actually, that I, I didn't even take it on that level. I just took it on the you've just shown up all of a sudden without letting us know you're coming. Something's <laughs> going on, right? Just right, more intuition that. of something's going on. You know? <laughs> yeah, I like. I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, she so you know like she's coming out to do some gardening or something, yep. and she really needs to sew the sleeves back on her shirt because they're coming off. I mean, despite <laughs> the fact they're living in a log mansion, her <laughs> clothing is falling to pieces. Oh yes, the uh, the cold shoulder look. Uh, I've heard that's what it's called. Uh, but, that, that, that's like cool or something now. I guess I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> my wife doesn't like it, so that's how I know about it. Uh, so uh, I like Will Riker as a dad. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad, stop yelling! I mean, I could totally identify with that. That's totally <laughs> right. Riker is is the dad. I mean, he, he, he is you can the hear dad. Telling dad jokes. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets a couple in this time. I, I like how his version of Alexa doesn't require a wake word now, because yep. on the Enterprise they always had to use the wake word computer, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and now they're past that, so he just says pause music and it pauses and yes. shields up and they go up. Yes, well, I, I love it. I love it. It's you got like the the rugged backwoods off the grid look, but oh, by the way, we got they got shields and well, sensors. Yeah, yeah. And, if you're a retired you know, Starfleet captain, and yeah. <laughs> but I like how they they are keeping the technology ahead of us mm-hmm. because back in the day, having a wake word for your for your artificial assistant was uh, something we. I mean, we didn't have artificial assistants. Right now, we now we do, and so yep. so to keep the technology ahead of us, they've dis, they've decided okay, can the the assistant can tell contextually whether you're talking to it right. or talking to someone else, right. and that makes sense, and that's where our technology is ultimately headed. But I bet we get there before the 24th century. <laughs> we, we seem to be a little faster than them. Uh, so he, yeah, and he, as you mentioned, he immediately knows that we're. Picard needs a place to hide out. So that's when he says shields up perimeter scans. He says they have shields because they've had trouble with the Zinti who uh, first mentioned the first yep. mention in the, in a live action series. 
they were from the the an animated series episode Slaver Weapon, an, 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 mm-hmm. uh, actually, an episode actually we'll talk they're originally about. from Larry Niven's books. That when he, then when he took one of his books and turned it into a TAS episode, yes. became part of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Short That's stories. His, not- his short story, The Soft Weapon. But yeah. if you are a fan of Larry Niven, as I am. Uh, and have read his known space series, there's all kinds of stuff about the Kazenti. They are basically eight foot tall orange tiger and people. <laughs> orange tiger sentient tigers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we, we need and sentient they live have, action. They have fought <laughs> they have fought repeated wars with humanity and lost every one. They tend to attack before they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> and uh ultimately so it's tigers versus monkeys, and the monkeys tend to win because of our monkey smarts <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, versus then, their tiger aggression. Yes. Uh, Riker mentions Newton's fourth law of thermodynamics. No good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> which, which is also the 285th rule of acquisition. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, tells him um, that uh, I, I he, will, will say reminds Picard. I told you that the supernova rescue would mean you, you'll be, butt deep in Romulans for the rest of your life. And so, and Picard sort of, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then uh, we find out from Riker and his discuss is talking with his daughter, Kestra, that apparently they have killer bunny rabbits on the Penthe. Yes. Which they yeah. call bunny well, corns. Bunny rabbits with venom sacks. Yes. Oh, and horns. They do have venom sacks and horns. So they're called bunny corns. Bunny corns. And yep. This is the first, so apparently she was out there hunting bunny corns for their pizza because she brings in a skinned bunny corn that she has just hunted. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, okay, yeah, I like this positive pro-hunting, you know, de- depiction here on Star Trek. Finally, the hunters are getting some representation. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because there, all the food is going to be locally grown, which is something that for the 24th century is completely foreign as the conversation a little bit kind of goes into. Yeah, although not completely, given that you know, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, Bruce colonies Maddox like to cook. Yeah, and even things like you know, uh, in the original series, how they had that the the uh, trouble with tribbles was all about grain that was you know wheat yeah. that and, was being grown. And Riker himself, I, I, we mentioned this before, but Riker himself in TNG, there was one episode where he cooked like yeah. eggs or something, like, like alien eggs right. or something like that. And Cisco and Cisco's dad has runs a restaurant, so there's a there's a lot of. There's a lot of cooking still, but yeah, most people generally are are replicating their meals. Uh, yep. So also in the original series, there's this side of paradise, which is the one where Spock falls in love, uh-huh. and and that's a farming colony. Right. And one of the things they notice when they get there, they're talking to the leader of the farming colony, and it's like there are no animals here. This is so suspicious. Why are there no farm animals? We're vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> the problem solved. Yep. Uh, so Kestra then quizzes Soji about being a human looking android and, uh, helps, helps Soji finally come to grips or start to come to grips with not being human. So there's this, because as a, like a child does, especially a child who doesn't have other children around, apparently she's Mm -hmm. a bit, um, uh, blunt about things. And so she talks about mucus and saliva and, uh, other aspects. And, oh, that's so data that that she, she talks about. And, and is enthusiastic about it, which I think kind of helps Soji. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Like I said, come to grips with what's, what's going on with her. This isn't all bad, horrific, having your identity ripped out from under you. If they think you're cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, turns. And then now we find out that it turns out that uh, Thaddeus Riker, Tr- Riker, Troy, Troy, Riker, Troy, Riker. Thank you. 
yep. they've they hyphenate. Um, he died from a disease. Um, he would have been eighteen years old uh, at, at at this point. And break. Uh, mm-hmm. Troy tells uh, Picard, like you know, you can stay as long as you like, uh, but you know, I'm you know, I'm worried for Kestra's safety. I'm, and she says, I'm not as brave as I used to be, Jean Luc. Uh, and he says, then you're getting wiser. And it's it's an mm-hmm. interesting. They've evolved as people. They've 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 changed. They're still the same people, but they're changing. And I I think that's a refreshing mm-hmm. uh, way that they're like they've they've taken these characters forward in time um, based on their experiences. Yeah, this is their Wrath of Khan moment where they're no longer pretending the cast is young. <laughs> right. right. Uh, back on La Serena, Rafi has noticed that the closer they get to Soji the less that Agnes wants to be there. She's she's like sort of afraid of getting close to them. Yeah, Agnes has had, uh, you know, it's understandable because she had really abbreviated secret agent trader training. <laughs> yes. But um, she is bad at being a secret agent trainer. Because yeah. Yeah, she's, she's like, like suddenly wanting to abort their mission. She's like, do you guys even want to go to Nepenthe? And it's like, <laughs> Of that's what we're hired to do. Yeah. Yes. And and it's like I want you to point this ship at Earth and press play, which is a great line. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then wow, has Rafi really leaned back into her old lifestyle? Because suddenly she's a she's like coming across as a drug dealer. As she when yeah. she realizes Agnes is freaking out, she like puts her arm around her and starts walking her off the bridge, and it's like. Auntie Rafi will hook you up with whatever you need. Well, and, and, and Agnes becomes a child and says, "Is it cake? You bet it's cake." Yeah. Well, I love the I love the line by by Agnes where she's like, "I want to be the fun crew member who says, hey, let's go check out that comet.' And it turns out it's a gormander, you know, <laughs> spa- yeah. Gormander, yeah, the space whale from uh, Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, well, okay, that was. <laughs> yeah, but it's and it's, then it's she a, bank a tantrum. It's it's a bank shot because it's also a, a crypto allusion to Empire Strikes Back, where they mm. go into an asteroid and it turns out it's a giant space worm snake thing. That's right. That's right. Oh um, yeah. And she, uh, so yeah, and I, Rafi kind of like is she's gonna give she's like, um, Agnes maybe uh, some snake leaf or some whiskey and, and Agnes is like, can it, can I have cake? <laughs> like, okay. <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> See, I mean, it really leans into Agnes being this babe in the woods, this, this innocent yeah. who is, does, it should naive. not be there. Yeah. Which I guess then makes Rafi's new haircut even more appropriate because I have in my notes, Rafi has new raggedy Ann haircut. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Which I like. Yep. It's a cool hair. It's a cool look for her. So uh, Soji, meanwhile, learns that Kestra and Thad, um, uh, they've had these made up languages. They've created these these imaginary worlds. And uh, she learns the language in five minutes. Basically, she's she, now that she's activated. She looks at the outdoor pizza oven, which I have to say, I, I really love that pizza oven. I want one That's for myself. Awesome. But she's, when she looks at the pizza oven with, where Riker's making the pizza, she does the data head tilt, which comes back later. Yep. She does a very good job of that. Um, the the actress supposedly says. supposedly we missed that uh, a couple episodes ago. There was one time where she did it, and someone called called us out on it. It's like, yeah, I think yeah, we might we, have. I, I suppose we did miss that. Yeah. Um. So Riker, of course, figures everything out without having to be told. He 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 says it's you know that he he knows what's going on based on the facts that he's aware of. Well, and it, it well, uh, Troy also mentioned that 
you know, she saw her, her emotional response, Soji's emotional response, and she looks human yeah. and acts human, but gets no sense out of her whatsoever. She's a blank slate. Yes. Yep. And that is interesting because back in uh, in Next Gen, Data, when Data did make a daughter, Lal, mm-hmm. Lal evolved to the point that she started feeling emotions. And right. she was in a conversation with Troy when she started to feel emotions. And it was this uncontrollable, unexpected thing that was the first sign of a cascade failure in her positronic matrix. So she then rapidly went to to dying. Um, right. But she starts to feel them in um, in this conversation with Troy and Troy reacts to that. And it's not yeah. clear because I recently rewatched this episode as background for Soji and Dodge. Yeah. And it's not they don't make it explicit. Can can Troy feel Lal's emotions or not? It mm. based on the act based on Marina Sirtis's performance, you it looks like she may, but it also could just be concern about this unexpected turn of develop uh, turn of events. And so this would seem to indicate that even when you have an android feeling emotions, it doesn't represent in a way that Troy right. can pick up on. Yeah. There, there's nothing there's nothing uh, um, telekinetic about the emotions. They're just a part of the programming, Tele- basically. Nothing telepathic. Yeah. Telepathic. Yeah. Excuse me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And it could be that it, even if she was sensing laws, emotions that. Whatever made uh, Dodge and Soji's emotions not create a cascade failure also created it or done in such a way that you can't, well, they can't be sensed, perhaps. Yeah, they never even they, they never talked in the movies after Data put in the emotion chip whether right. or not she could sense them either. So. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Riker tells Picard, you know, it's classic Picard arrogance. He says who, he gets to decide who's in the loop, who isn't, which which is fine for the bridge of a starship. But now. You're dealing with a teenager more or less, <laughs> and and you're not re- you're not ready to deal with a teenager as the as the dad tells of a teenager tells Picard. Picard agrees because uh, he's never had children of his own, and uh, and then we find out about that that he was born and raised on starships, and he was fascinated by the idea of a home world, so he invented one, which is I think is an interesting mm-hmm. insight, and. Uh, Troy says he died of mendaxic neurosclerosis, uh, which has a cure, but it has to be cultured at an active positronic matrix. But because of the ban on synths, no one could develop new ones. And so she. This was the worst thing about this episode. Okay. Uh, everything else was fine. This is the stupid thing because the chance that uh, Riker and Troy's son would die from a disease that could be cured if only there was one synth in existence and we can't in any other way, you know, using any other form of technology produce the cure. It has to be the brain of a Sung type android. And so, and so the synth ban is what killed their son. That is so on the nose and improbable. So it Star is, Trek. They do this all the It's so Star Trek. They do it all the time in Star Trek. Yep. Well, it is, it is, <laughs> it is the stupidest thing about this episode. On the yeah. other hand, I like the wild girl of the woods business and the Southern, the mind witches of the Southern ice on his imaginary <laughs> home world. All that's cool. But yes. the way yep. he died is just stupid. Yeah. Well, it, it's supposed to make it more profound that here uh, is I know. Troy meeting 
Soji, who could have been a cure. And so I, I get that. It's you're right. I mean, it's a little it's a it's a bit of a on the nose stretch of oh, things. This is yeah. so this is slim. This is uh Slim Pickens writing the atomic bomb down to the <laughs> test site on the nose. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. It, it's, it's it's it was a, it's a little much, but it's but it's classic. I mean, this is they do this in Star Trek all the time where like just so happens that the one thing the the linchpin is this one coincidental thing. It, it It's the weakest part of Star Trek in, in that sense uh, when they do that. Uh, so Soji tells her, you know, I don't believe in anything now. And the more caring you are toward me, the less I trust you, which is, you know, again, mm -hmm. the trust issues with, with Narak has uh, done to her. Uh, and um, Picard says something insensitive to Soji. He comes up and says something <laughs> to her. She socks him in the shoulder, uh, not enough to break him, being an elderly man, but just which enough. Which he notes she could do. Yes. Easily, yeah. And uh, Troy tells Picard you had it coming. I like how she says it. A, a counselor, a ship's counselor is not supposed to say this, but you had it coming. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and uh, Picard's never been a parent. So he's treating Soji like he would an officer under his command instead of ch a child that you have to be sort of a parent to. So that's it's interesting. Oh, he's <laughs> learning on the job. Back on the cube, Hel Hugh and Elnor, who have escaped from Drusilla, uh, uh, Elnor shows up in. Um, slices up a bunch of uh, Telshiar. Uh, they're heading to the Queen Cell when they're intercepted by Drusilla. Um, and Elnor kills everyone but her. And she then kills Hugh and beams out before Elnor can uh, can return the favor yeah. to her. And she reveals that she's Jatvasht. And at one point, she says, as they're about to go at each other with weapons, she says, this is the, not the way that... Koat Malat fight Jatvasht, and so they holster their weapons and fist fight for a little bit. I always hate that. Like, I, I prefer the uh, the uh, the the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark Indiana Jones wing, where yeah, where yeah exactly. The bravado moment is bang. I've got the better weapon. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, she she essentially does that because she 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 uses the the martial arts with um uh with Elnor, but then she whips out the weapon to shoot Hugh. Right, right. Uh, or knife. Beat, Does, or she, it's, knife. It's, she a, threw it's a not a, it's a knife. Yeah. Yeah. And he bleeds out remarkably fast. <laughs> yeah. She hit something really uh, vital. Hit there, the, uh, hit the, probably will hit the artery to the brain. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. important spot. Or, earlier, yeah, she had said that, um, that she, w she didn't kill him because he was Federation and was thus protected by that asinine treaty. But he here in the episode, he and Hugh were in the process of uh, wanting to Hugh in particular was taking the lead and saying, we're going to go to the queen cell and take this board cube away from them. Right. Yep. So he's and and that's a treaty violation that lets her. It's like, oh, goody, I get to kill you now. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, back on La Serena, Rafi is feeding lots of uh, velvet uh, cake to <laughs> red velvet cake to Agnes when they find out that their shadow uh, Narak in, in the, uh, the Romulan snakehead fighter, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, he's back and they can't figure out how they're being tracked. Uh, Agnes does. And this is where she gets sick again at thinking. Well, she's had she's working on her third. <laughs> I mean, those pieces of cake are like a third of a cake. <laughs> yeah, yes. She's on her third piece. She's eating a whole cake, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I, you know, as a dad, I know that's a bad idea. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so she gets ill and they're not like they just assume it's because she's been eating so much, but also. 
she's it's guilt um she knows she knows yeah. why they're being followed uh so on nepenthe they're having dinner and uh of the pizza finally this is like the longest uh preparation of a meal i've ever seen but hey they had to they had to grind up that bunny corn and make <laughs> sausage out of it and this do you know true. how long it takes to cure sausage even in the 24th century well uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh soji reveals that narek got her to reveal where her home is the the, the so-called nest where she came from uh and picard wants to convince her to trust them and they tell her it's because of her connection to data that she should trust picard also, he says, I mean, listen to my heartbeat, look at my pupils, dilation, my verbal cues, all this stuff. Now that you're activated, microanalyze my body signals and you'll tell I'm telling the truth. And she right. does concede. He thinks he's telling the truth. Yes, mm -hmm. that's very that's a that's a, a good point that she makes. There. They don't she doesn't just concede that. And and it's set up by the fact that in the opening flashback dream sequence of the very first episode Picard is talking about the dilation relative of Data's pupils to yes. each other. So oh, it, this is a pretty long callback to this yep. concept. Uh, as they're talking about it, Kestra Googles all of the details that, that Soji reveals. She Googles well, she under the table. Text, uh, that she Captain texts Crandall. under the table. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, yes, that's right. She yeah. asks this Captain Crandall, the crazy old ship captain who lives near them, uh, also known as Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of references to Star Wars in this episode, uh, if you if you look for it. Uh, but she finds out what what the planet is, and so she's got the information based on the this very thin data that they get from the information they get from from her I, uh, memory. I don't know why she texted this guy; it'd be quicker just to Google it. But exactly. um, I do love the name of the pl of the place where he lives at Infinity Lake. Yes, that's, that's a yeah. great name. Um, <laughs> By the way, speaking of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I, I, a while back I was I, I saw a uh, cartoon, you know, like a one panel cartoon where um, Luke is talking to Obi-Wan and says, Ben, you cannot call them sand people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's see, um, Rios confides to Agnes that he thinks that the reason why the, the Romulan is able to follow them is is because Raffi betrayed them on Free Cloud, and 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 that's why Narek has has a uh, has got this ability. Yeah, and I thought watching that scene, I thought this he's doing a mind game on Agnes. He really is suspecting Agnes because she's the one who's been acting all suspicious, right? And I thought this was a ruse to draw it out of her, but no, he apparently really suspects really Raffi. Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, because Rafi's the one that left on free cloud. You know, I'm done with y'all, and all of a sudden she shows back up, right, and rejoins so, them. And didn't explain why what she was doing on free cloud or anything like that. So, I mean, it actually kind of makes sense. Although mm. she does tell him that it's um, you. She told him in that moment there was about her son, but mm -hmm. he's still suspicious because it, it can't it can't be Agnes because she's a babe in the woods. She's you know an innocent. She's innocent. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I guess we have complex things here because he's he's known Rafi for a long time and they've been friends, but yeah. then he's also sleeping with Agnes, so right. that could be yeah. affecting his judgment too. By the way, I like that, uh, just a call back this for a second to Captain Crandall, that his ship is called the Inside Straight, which is another poker reference. Uh, yep. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, so Agnes, in, in a fit of guilt, uh, knowing, you know, about this, her betrayal of the uh, Rios and Ralphie, uh, she injects herself with a compound that has neurotoxic effects. On to some species. On some species. 
uh, presumably human because it has some bad yeah. things happen to her, uh, to counteract the tracker. I do like as she collapses the floor, the EMH appears and goes, what is the nature of your, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like gets That's upset. nice. That's nice. I, see, this, this is a point where I was talking about earlier where it's, you know, it looks like she's trying to basically commit suicide to end the trackers, but I think she realized that the trackers, instead of going into her bones, they went into her like brain. The brain stem or something like that yeah. went into the spinal cord, and she knew that this chemical could be stopped, Counteract. you know, yeah. so it wouldn't kill her, but it would kill the trackers. Right. Or mask right. them in some way, yeah. The chemical, well, I, I, think, so, I think it was to, I think it was to destroy them is what it was. Mm-hmm. Either destroy or mask them with a signal that'll, you know, make them ineffective one way or another. The so this according to the closed captioning the um the chemical she injects herself with is noranium hydride noranium yeah. hydride but I when she went to that three D printer and got the hypo spray <laughs> I could have I could have sworn it said uranium hydride which is a real thing <laughs> but yeah. apparently it's and I thought oh well okay if it's a radioactive isotope that could mask the trackers but yeah. apparently it's not according to the closed captioning. I love that the prop was basically just a 3D printer. <laughs> like yeah. they didn't even yeah. take the the 3D printing head out of it. They just had it replicate like replicate and transported inside it. I just thought that was hysterical. Uh, so uh, back on the uh, the cube, Elnor who's who's you know running around trying to hide from the the Tal Shiar, uh, activates the the um, Fenris Rangers Vines. SOS things of Fenris Ranger the- SOS beacon. Is that what it was? He finds it just hanging there? It was hanging on that console. Yeah. Uh, and he so Hugh has told him you're going to need an XB to do the thing in the queen cell. Right. Um, and to take the cube away from them. So even though Hugh is dead, Elnor is still on this mission to take the cube away from the Romulans. He goes into the queen's chamber and on the table thing, he finds the calling card that oh. seven of nine gave picard this is another weak point in the writing we had no clue and picard had uh, they did nothing to set up the idea that this card should be there was he i don't think he was in the queen's chamber uh, because when they no, pull back just off in, on like, the in shot a platform somewhere yeah he's on this platform overlooking okay. this huge thing so okay. it makes it even well, less sensible it would make even less sense. I assumed he was in the Queen's chamber and Picard yeah. had left it there for no. him to get off or get help Yeah, uh, to get off the cube, but apparently not. So this makes even less sense. Right. It's very strange. Um, you know, what I like here, and I think this is based on the coming attractions uh, trailer I saw. I, what I like here is Elnor is both an extremely capable warrior, but he's also mm-hmm. very young and... And we, mm-hmm. you, it's easy to forget, but he's scared. He's a scared kid who's also really good at what he at what he does. And you kind of see it here. He's he's collapses and he's scared and he he grabs onto this SOS thing, uh, which of course means Fenris Rangers. Uh, here comes seven to the nine, seven of nine to the rescue. Yep. Uh, so that'll be next episode. Uh, then we go back to uh, the Pente, where apparently Picard has heard finally from from Rios. Um, he tells Riker that uh, this new crew is decidedly motley, which I like, uh, and they seem to be carrying more baggage than all of you, meaning the Enterprise crew, ever did, which is which is fun. Then thanks Riker for not trying to talk him out of all of this, and uh, Riker mm-hmm. says he knows better because that was always a losing proposition, which is yeah very true. Now, now the one question, the one question I have about the crew though, his new crew, 
why didn't he mention Raffi to Riker? You would assume that Riker would know Raffi, or at least know who Raffi was. Perhaps, perhaps. Why yeah, didn't he, does... he mention her that, oh, and one of our crew members is Raffi? It might, or even Rios. He might know Rios from, from Starfleet. Uh, I think he's probably feeling guilty, given Raffi's feelings toward him, but it's p- possible. You know, one of the things I really like, I mentioned this before, is that Picard, and it comes out because Riker and Troy are there. I noticed that Picard is not the same guy he was on the bridge of the Enterprise. He's not as self-assured and strong and decisive and all of those other things that Captain Picard was. Picard is, you know, has gone through so much. He's not quite the same decisive commander that he was. And I, I, I like this evolution of Picard that we see he's become. And, you know, even when we see the flashbacks within this series, the, in in when he's still in uniform, he's more erect and carries himself a little, uh, you know, with more confidence. And now he's more stoop shouldered and less confident in in many circumstances. So I really like the the acting that Patrick Stewart is doing here with Picard and the way he's playing him. Uh, all right, then uh, Kestra, as we'd have our goodbyes, Kestra tries to, tries to tell Soji that. Although she doesn't have anyone, is you know because Soji thinks she, you know even doesn't have her sister. Um, you could have Picard, and he could have you as family. That's what she's going to say. And uh, then we have the the very nice goodbyes, and we get the uh, the the TNG theme to end the episode, which I thought was a really nice touch. As they go back into the into the log mansion. The log mansion. That's right. Uh, and we <laughs> we get our last views, perhaps ever of. Uh, Riker in Troy, which uh, so very nice. Although uh, the adventures of Kestra R- Troy Riker might be a fun uh, future thing <laughs> in, in series. But then uh, they can easily be back in another. I mean, there's supposed to be two more seasons of this. So yeah. So um, any final thoughts on this episode before we get to our uh, listener feedback? Uh, one when uh, when Troy basically tells Picard, "Is you had that coming?" Uh, Riker calls her Nimzadi. Yes. yes, of course, we know is that Beta Z uh, word of affection. Right. He says it angry, too. Yeah. It's like, beloved, what are you doing? <laughs> basically, like, you know, attention, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, any last thoughts? So we learn a Romulan cuss word when Derek loses the signal because of the neuranium hydride. He says, cause. Cause, yes. So uh, that's bad. Apparently. That'll come in handy. Um mm-hmm. Also, if you look at at the background on planet Nepenthe, there are these mountains that are in bizarre, impossible shapes. Mm. There's like a band that it it, it it it's like you see spiky, you know, spiky mountains in a lot of sci-fi art yep. that are yeah. just like spikes going up. But these have are like bent over to form an arch that's impossible. Well, they're right. they're like they're like natural bridges, but only like supersized. And, and we have natural it, bridges on Earth that might be you know thirty, forty foot feet tall. But, well, these are like right. supersized versions of that, and well, and they're not constructed in a way that looks like natural weathering could have produced them. They look like they're artificial. Aren't the the arches at Arches National Park as big? Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know the, the scale. I, I couldn't. Tell I don't the scale, think they're but. quite. They're not quite mountainous big. I've never been to okay. arches, but from what the pictures I've seen, they're not quite mountainous big like these are. Okay. 
Um, interesting. Also, a and I like I like the attempt to depict something we don't have in the same way here on Earth, but I thought it strained believability a little bit. Yeah. Um, also, straining believability is Kestra says her compass doesn't work, and she gives it to Soji at the end of the episode, and I assume Soji just pitches it in a trash can as soon as she's back on the ship. But <laughs> um, because what's it going to do for her? You know, right. um, she's probably. I mean, she's better than an iPhone, and those have compasses built in. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but if the compass doesn't work, why does the needle spin back and forth? It bobs, and that'll only happen in a magnetic field. It with a magnet, well, it wouldn't yeah. slide back and forth if it wasn't working. Well, maybe the planet has a magnetic field; it just doesn't align north and south, or on, like well, Ash does. But still, it would just. Well, I yeah. I, I think Castro doesn't know how to use a compass. That might be. <laughs> That's more likely. Uh, I like uh, when Riker, the, the, when he starts burning the pizza, he yells, red alert, and runs over to the pizza. <laughs> and it's just a burnt tomato. Uh, but uh, I, I like that. Um, those tomatoes look really good. Um, and I want to try some Antarian basil. That, that sounds really good. So uh, could you tell I like pizzas? That's not mm -hmm. surprising. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Let's uh, talk about some feedback we've gotten from listeners on our last episode, which was the Impossible Box. Uh, Ro uh, Ronnie Lunn uh, writes on Facebook, uh, Dom, thank you so much for addressing the amazing message conveyed by the rehabilitation of the XBs. This is such an important, important message for us as Catholics to bear witness to not just for the world, but also for our other Catholic brothers and sisters. When we lose sight of the fact that all our beloved children of God, we lose sight of the mission. Yes. Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad uh, that resonated with you. Uh, this is also something that's really great about Trek as it compared to other sci-fi franchises, the value of diplomacy and seeing the humanity in others, quote unquote, because sometimes they're aliens, <laughs> even when we find it difficult to recognize that they're beloved children of God. Uh, then he says, I'm wondering if Jimmy might have any recommended readings by any theoretical theologians who are discussing the relation of the soul, the body and consciousness as it relates to transhumanism and other artificial intelligence. Mm. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I've written a little bit on transhumanism. I don't know of any theological books that have been written on that subject. Um, we did do an episode of Mysterious World on transhumanism. Yep. And if you Google Jimmy Aiken transhumanism, an article I wrote on it should also come up. But there's not a lot of work that's been done on this. Other than, you know, some of the obvious points that you, you know you cannot turn yourself into a robot. You would just mm. kill yourself leaving a robot duplicate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll put a link to the uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World episode where we talked about transhumanism. Yeah, I, I hate okay. to say it. I think this is something that uh, a lot of theologians, it's not even on their radar. They, they, they're yeah. not even aware yeah. of it. So there, there is a little bit uh, that... Like in the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has alluded to transhumanism in some of its documents, but there isn't a detailed exploration yet. And since the soul and the body are incommensurate, if you monkey with your body, it's not going to affect the soul, really. I, I think one thing we realize, too, is a lot of times theologians, they work reactive, not proactive. Right. So right. we're not quite to that point yet where these issues are actual practical issues that we deal with on a day to day basis. There's just still transhuman and by and large is still theoretical. So, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Still oh, yes. Uh, and then Kevin Greenlee writes on Facebook. I think Jimmy missed something. I, I don't believe mm -hmm. you, Jimmy, but uh, yeah, Kevin, but we'll see. 
maybe the commercials cut out late. He says uh, Rafi was waving off everyone for no reason. Uh, that he's uh, he said that you said Rafi was waving everyone off in the Impossible Box mm-hmm. for no reason. But right before that, Picard had started clapping like she'd done something awesome, even though she she'd uh, burned her bridges with her Starfleet friend. Um, the, so there was that that scene where Rafi managed to get the uh, the mm-hmm. uh, right. diplomatic credentials for Picard. Um, I believe we're talking about different moments in the episode. Um, right. The because he does applaud and she storms off, but that's a different moment than where we come back from what would be a commercial break if this yeah. were on television, and she's like, "Leave me alone! Leave me alone! Back off, everybody!" And we haven't seen them crowding her or pressing upon her in I, in any notable way. They just we come in on the middle of that. Hmm, right. I thought that right. was the same scene. Maybe yeah. not. So, or maybe other ends of the same scene. All right. Th- so thank you both for the the feedback. We uh, really appreciate it. And uh, before that, Casey Taylor on uh, Elnor's uh, Elvish name. Uh, that was very good. So uh, before we finish things up here, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including this time JP, Andrea M, Peter E, John C, and William R. Not William Riker, but another William R. Uh, oh, darn their, it. Oh. <laughs> their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give all right so that's it from us uh, we'd love to hear from you what you think of this episode nepenthe and what we had to say about it and you too can uh, send in some feedback by going to sqpn.com slash trek leave a comment there you can leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or you can send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time, and we'll be discussing the next episode, Broken Pieces. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Jolan True, Dom. And Jolan True to you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember... I'm alive, and I have a mission, and there's not a chance in hell that you or anyone else can stop me.